Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, it's Monday. I can't believe it's Monday already. What a great weekend uh, we had. Uh, you know, uh, Curtis would have enjoyed that. I would, I, we had a nice dinner party for the governor of the state of New York. Would the governor have enjoyed it or Curtis would have enjoyed it? I'm not sure. (laughs) I'll tell you more about it after Curtis is gone. uh, That's true. After Curtis is gone, because there's a lot to talk to Curtis about. In the studio, we have, uh, Richard Weinberg and we have Congressman Peter King. Do do I have to sit next to Curtis? No, you don't. You can leave, Pete. (laughs) Center stage in the studio. We got Curtis Lewa. To tell us what the heck is going on in our streets because we're worried. John, do me a favor. The next time you have a sit down with Kathy Hochul, ask her why when she's in every parade, she goes two blocks and then they exit. They did it with the Columbus Day Parade. Remember, she never passed us. Puerto Rican Day Parade. And yesterday I was in the Dominican Parade right behind her. And they had to, they go two blocks and they leave. This is the third time. You think it's a photo op, Curtis? Uh Absolutely. Curtis, <laughs> yes. migrants, what the heck is going on? I yeah. understand there was a big uh, uh, goings-on in Staten Island on Saturday, big goings-on in Queens on Sunday. Well, first off, everybody that's been involved in these demonstrations to stop the illegal aliens from being put into their neighborhoods is thankful to WABC is the divining one because we're the only station that gives any information. So in Staten Island, 1,500 people showed up on Saturday. They had a senior citizen home, as Vito Fasella had described on your program twice last week, in which they even kicked out a 95-year-old woman whose husband was a veteran. They said, out in the street, tough, we need it for migrants. And then uh, Jimmy Otto, he's in charge of buildings, he did the certification, said it's good to go, and they're ready to bring the migrants in. And 1,500 WABC listeners showed up. And said, no way, no way. They're prepared to do civil disobedience. I took the front. Yes, uh, he, he was great at organizing. And he used this, uh, the most powerful radio station in the nation, to get the message out. Now, while we were demonstrating, the governor had secured from the federal government when Perez, the former DNC mm-hmm. chairman, came. He that, And he's been the liaison, sort of the Biden right, quote liaison. That they can use Fort Wadsworth. Which is right underneath the Verrazano Bridge, which is where, if you remember, former Congressman uh, Molinari launched the secession movement. I stood side by side. I'll share the picture with you when he fired the cannons (laughs) and he advocated secession. They're going to take over Fort Wadsworth. They have the permission of the federal government through the governor of the state of New York. And the people in Staten Island are a Let me ask you. I'm a former Queens guy. What's going to happen in Creedmoor? Oh, let me tell you, so yesterday, Eric Adams goes out to the annual Indian Day Parade, and he ran in to a buzzsaw. All these senior citizens who have co-ops, so they're, they're shareholders, the condos, homes, they met him, and he thought he could talk to them and, you know, rationalize with them. He said, oh, this is a, a, a mess that I inherited. And then Phil Orenstein, who has been the president of the Queens Village Republican Club since Good guy, Phil Ornstein. Yes. I, I remember him very well. And, and by he, the way, we have Vicki Palladino, councilwoman, later yeah. on in the show. So but that's going to be interesting. your line. I sent you his line. He said, why not Rikers Island, which John has been saying from day one. He said, you could house 20,000 out there easily. And the mayor... Maybe 30,000. Right. And the mayor danced around it. He basically said, 
look, I, I inherited this mess. And everybody there said, what are you talking about? That's the one thing we can't Why blame on the Blasio. Why inconvenience the citizens of the city of New York, right. inconvenience them, subject them to harm, then... Why don't we just put them on Rikers Island? I don't understand it. It's I mean, crazy. it's just simple. Well, and John, ready. the price tag. The price tag came out this weekend. This is from basically the city. It's well, Bill O'Reilly's on later on, and he is outraged. Bill yes. O'Reilly will be on about 545 today, and he is outraged. We about can't afford it, John. At $10,000 per migrant per month. I mean, I mean, do the math. That's insane for And no bid contracts. By the way, no bid contracts. Did you see the video in Nordstrom's in Los Angeles? Yes. Fifty, uh, whatever they were, mob. mob. You can't, you can't use the word mob. Is it politically mob correct? <laughs> That's uh, right. The Chicago mayor. Nordstrom's wiped the store out and ran away, and nobody would do anything. The police didn't come. Nothing happened. And you said that <clears throat> the, 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 you heard. And sometimes you you're a man of the streets. Yes. You heard that they they are targeting an Apple store now? Yeah, street gangs here, Bloods and Crips, have looked at all the super Apple stores, not just the normal Apple stores. The main one uh, at the old um, General Motors building, which is across from Central Park, across from uh, the Plaza Plaza Hotel. That's the biggie. It has everything in there. You'll see. They're preparing. They're like bees around the, Uh. the, uh, the beehive, constantly doing surveillance. Apple is aware of this. Apple has built up its security. But unfortunately, what, the NYPD. What, what is two or three security guys going to do for you? Nothing. 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 And that's what happened in Nordstrom. By the way, everybody, this was the third hit in the L.A. area, the third mob in about like two or three weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, just that's imagine insane. on this, the hip hop weekend, 50 Cent, 50 Cent said, I'm leaving Los Angeles because they put no bail in there. And it, it's going to destroy the city. This is the guy. You know, this started in New York with George Floyd riots. Yes. With Cy Vance wouldn't lock guys up. Exactly. Exactly. It's and now crazy it's what's an going epidemic. On. Wow, scary. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk later on about my dinner and my breakfast with... Uh, uh, After Curtis leaves. Yeah. After Curtis. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Curtis stand yeah, you're going to give me Ajit. <laughs> Curtis, stand by. We got Hawaii calling in. Yep, we've got a former Congresswoman, <clears throat> Tulsi Gabbard, uh, who is also there, by the way, on Army duty. Uh, bravo to you. You are there in Maui. We have been looking at these pictures, Congresswoman. It is heartbreaking. I mean, people have described it as apop- apocalyptic. I've been to Lahaina. I-, I can't believe to see the images. What are you seeing? Uh, apocalyptic is is probably one of the best words to describe uh, the the absolute devastation that has occurred here. Uh, you know the the community here on Maui is very tight knit. It is inspiring to see their resilience even in the face of this us unprecedented disaster. But really, how they're they're stepping up, uh, even those who have lost everything, just trying to help each other uh, and help their neighbors. I, I'm actually calling you right now from a different community. Uh, not in Lahaina or West Maui, but in upcountry Maui and Kula. You know, there were a number of other fires that started shortly after the Lahaina brush fire began. Uh, one here in upcountry Maui, uh, and I'm standing in the rubble of a few homes that were destroyed. There are several, unfortunately, and this community is continuing to deal not only with the, the aftermath of the devastation, but because of the trees here, the roots underground of these trees are actually still burning. And so there's ongoing efforts by the community as well as Maui Fire Department, both to try to fight those small embers and the the beginnings of fires, but also clearing out a lot of the green matter that is really just fodder 
for a new fire to start. So now, how did, I mean, I don't think everybody understands. I heard rumors that that, that it might have been an electrical fire, but it, it, I hear a rumor like that that all it means is, oh, they got a big checkbook, we can sue them. I mean, what? how do you think the fire started? Does any, any and then was the hurricane going on at the same time? Uh, yes, uh, I, I can only tell you what I've seen and what I've heard. Obviously, <clears throat> not an expert here, but the reality is that brush fires are quite common in West Maui uh, and the Lahaina area, especially during this time of year. Drought is very common here. There are often restrictions on water use. Uh, those small brush fires are normally able to be put out and contained very quickly. <laughs> the issue here was a was a combination of of brush fires, uh, hurricane level winds of ninety to a hundred miles an hour moving through because of Hurricane Dora that was traveling south of the Hawaii Island chain, combined with what those winds were doing in knocking over uh, electrical power lines, uh, bringing that combination that created. Uh, this massive out-of-control wildfire, not only, again, in, in West Maui and Lahaina, but also in uh, a very different ecosystem up here in uh, Kula. Tulsi, this is Pete King. Again, I want to thank you for your great service over the years. It was a privilege to serve with you thank in Congress. You. What would you say the federal government should be doing now? And I'm not trying to make this political in any way. What What is the the, the main thing the feds can do right now? Well, you know, we've got an incredibly uh, strong military presence out here in Hawaii. As you know very well, the Indo-PACOM Command and all of the different, you know, Air Force, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, the, the level of military resources here is, is significant. And not only that, but they're very experienced in uh, what we call in the military HADR, Humanitarian Assistance Disaster Relief. They just recently responded to a disaster in Guam. They've done so in the Philippines and Japan and Thailand and many other countries. They are chomping at the bit to be able to deploy those resources and support to the community here on Maui. They can't do so until FEMA, as the lead federal agency, gives them the green light. This is a frustration that I and so many others have here is we are almost seven days into. Today is day six since this disaster. And FEMA uh, hasn't responded yet? That that FEMA, FEMA is here. The administrator is here. But they have not given the military the green light to deploy all the resources they have available. Things like we have looting, unfortunately, these communities. Why is that? Congressman, why is that? Deterrent. That's a question for FEMA. I, I cannot I cannot give you a rational or logical answer to that because there is it is inexcusable. Absolutely. We need patrols in these communities. We need uh, we need their experts who uh, go in and, and can help identify the, the remains of those who perished in these fires. We okay. need this community I'm standing in right now. They have no water. We need water filtration systems and water supplies. The military can help provide that. They can provide uh, cleanup teams to help start to clean out these communities in every single respect. They have This community has no power. The military has the generators. Well, we no. hope that you get everything well, you need. Tell you Tell deserve Sabbath, it. Wow. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you and, very uh, much. If there's any more to report, please you text us whenever you can. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Let's you. go to Alan Dershowitz now. The, yeah, I the mean, great esteemed uh, constitutional uh, attorney and Professor Dershowitz. Wow, big news today. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the Georgia court put on its website uh, what looked like an indictment against President Trump of 13 counts. And then, oh, 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 they removed it. Uh, it looks like everyone's bracing for what could be ahead this week. 
Well, it was a Freudian slip, a monumental Freudian slip, because the artificial intelligence and the machine knew what we didn't know, and that is, of course, Trump's going to be indicted, because if the prosecution wants to indict somebody, he gets indicted. Uh, you know, grand jurors are 23 chairs being moved around by the prosecutor. They, they don't really exist in practice. In 60 years, I don't think I've ever heard of a case where a prosecutor really wanted an indictment and didn't get one. So uh, I think the, the, the website knew better than we did. Of course, there's going to be an indictment. The prosecutor wants it. He's going to get it. That's the, end of the, that's the end of the issue. And Professor Dershowitz, come a little closer to the receiver, if you could. You're a little off. The, we're losing you a little bit. Judge Weinberg? Alan, it's Richard Weinberg. And the, the noise in the system is that they're going to use the Georgia RICO statute, the racketeering statute, against President Trump and the co-defendants. What do you know about that? What do you think about that? <laughs> well, you know, I once had a client, uh, an Italian-American, his name was RICO. And he called me and he says, how come they allow the statue to be named Rico? What if they name it Morris or Johnny? I thought it was Edward G. Robinson in Public Enemy or one of those movies. Or Little Caesar. Professor Dershowitz? I think we lost you. He's going to call. You know, how wild is that? By the way, I saw Sid Rosenberg's movie last night. Oh, yeah. How wild is it? It was great. It was great. Sid Rosenberg is the only one who didn't die. Uh oh. Uh oh. (laughs) And and both. Bo Deedle was in it. I understand we got Professor Dershowitz back. Professor, go ahead. Pick it up where you left off about uh, the whole RICO and racketeering that it looks like she's going to add on here. Well, RICO was intended for organized crime. It was not intended for election disputes. Alan, this is Pete. Let me just, yeah, Alan, yeah, let me just say in that. My professor in law school, G. Robert Blakey, was one of the authors of that bill. And you're right. It was he's never intended to go beyond I know yeah, him. Great guy. Yeah, He's a great guy from Notre Dame and a terrific lawyer and a real expert. And, you know, he devised RICO as a way of going after crime bosses. And then it was expanded to go after business people. Now it's going after political opposition. Um, and, you know, what, what, what Trump is essentially being charged with is contesting an election. I contested the election of 2000. I was one of the lawyers for the Palm Beach voters who contested the butterfly ballot. And the way you contest an election is you put up a slate of alternate electors, and then either Congress or the courts decide which slate to count. That's the appropriate way to do it. But they are not fake electors. They're alternate electors. They're not fake electors. Of course they're not. They're fake electors in the minds only of people who want to use that kind of word to, to, uh, you know, color the situation. But uh, that's the way you challenge elections. And, you know, if you can prove specific perjury or specific forgery. Okay, that's one thing. But what they seem to be charging here is just a replica of what's charged in the District of Columbia, uh, other than that phone call. And the phone call, to my mind, is exculpatory. Because in the phone call, Trump says, I want you to find, not discover, not concoct, not manufacture, find, find 1,700 votes. And find means something's lost. They're there. They just haven't been counted. Now, you might say, well, he didn't mean that, but that's what he said. And you have to judge criminal cases by what somebody said, not by what you think they may have meant. You know, Professor Dershowitz, it's like a, it almost is like they're trying to create a made for TV moment because they just put out basically that in court they will have cameras. Uh, for the arraignment, of course, it's a state uh, state court. Yeah. And the sheriff also came out uh, like a week ago and said, nobody's exempt from a mugshot. It's like uh, and they said, oh, well, it also happens in the afternoon. 
it's like they're preparing for this big TV moment, it seems, and radio well, there's moment. No question about that. And everybody is choreog- is becoming choreographers here. Jack Smith saying that the trial of the D.C. case has to be in January. In 60 years of practicing criminal law, I have never heard of a case as complex as this being scheduled for trial six months after the indictment. It's unheard of. It's only designed to make sure that it's first and that the conviction comes before the election. It'll be reversed on appeal, but by that time, the election will be over. So Jack Smith's scheduling, which the judge, we don't know whether he'll go, she'll go along with it or not, probably. Uh, some compromise, maybe to be February or March, but it's so designed to achieve a political. The most important, Alan Dershowitz, the most important question, and every American, I'm not a lawyer, I have an honorary degree, which means nothing, Uh, but but every American is asking, at what point can the Department of Justice is not going to do anything, the FBI is not going to do anything, at what point can the Supreme Court say this is wrong? Well, too late. Unfortunately, it'll probably be too late. Congress has to act now. Look what happened. You get the Attorney General of the United States, the man who's supposed to enforce the law, violating the law himself by appointing as a special counsel somebody within the government. The regulation is explicit. You have to appoint somebody outside the government. But the only person who can bring a check and balance on this is Congress. They should call Garland. They should read him this, the regulation. It's a Justice Department regulation. And ask him, is this guy from outside of government? No. How come you appointed him? He'll say, well, I really didn't appoint him pursuant to this regulation. Yeah, the regulation is what gives him the power, but I appointed him pursuant to my inherent authority. He'll try to find some cockamamie argument. But This guy, David Weiss, said, already uh, uh, ignored the... Uh uh, what was the statute of limitations and, and let it slide? Let it slide. On a Burisma and the next one is China. Hear, you never hear that. What happens is if it's coming close to the statute of limitations, the government says to you, either toll the statute, that is, don't Wave. allow it to Write a waiver. And he, oh, and he didn't want a waiver. And I think he previously oh, said that he was stopped from tolling. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and then he changed his story. Exactly, John. You're right. He switched his story. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, thank, thank you. so much. That the Congress has to go into. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Let's take a break now. When we come back, who do we have? We have New York City Councilwoman Vicki Palladino. We're going to be talking about the migrants and also Greg Jarrett and, is going and, to give us you, his take. And uh, Curtis might have a question for her. He might oh, have a question yeah, or two. Yeah, i worked with her out there okay. outside of St. Agnes High School where they put the illegals. Let's take that uh, break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby talking about all the protests that are taking place all over New York City over the migrants uh, with no end in sight. And joining us now here is New York City Councilwoman Vicki Palladino. Uh, Vicki, obviously John is with me. We have also Judge Weinberg. We've got Curtis Lewa and we have Congressman Peter King. Uh, first oh. of all, what a mess this is, Vicki. We've seen you front row and center. Uh, oh. I, what's going to happen, first off, about some of the ones in your area? Now, well, like you said, there's no end in sight. So what's going to happen? They're just going to reproduce. Uh, we've got St. Agnes as a respite center, which right now has got uh, 325 uh, mixed adults, male and female. 
and we have our uh, anchor in, which is for families. Look, we're in a jam here. What's going to happen? Absolutely nothing until somebody throws the gauntlet down and says enough. And while everybody's pushing the blame ball around from one person to another to another, it's really a matter of the governor and the mayor coming together and saying, I had enough, and this is it. And when they start to think about their constituents and, and who live in this city and the people who really need to get the help, they'll say stop and let's start to take care of our own a little bit. Hey, Vicky, this is Pete. Vicky, this is Pete King. There's real concern in Nassau because like Creedmoor and other places oh, yeah. are right on the Nassau border. So this is a oh, major yeah. issue in Nassau County this year. Oh yeah, Pete. Listen, what's coming your way uh, with this mm-hmm. governor and the way she's looking they're at it? They're coming. Uh, they're coming. <laughs> oh yes, no one. You're right, cats. Cats. Nobody's going to be free of this if they have their way to alleviate our our problem in the five boroughs. The, the Long Island and upstate New York is going to start to see their share. Now, here's something to throw out uh, if somebody wants to try to you know, say this without being crushed, but I will. We have minimum security uh, prisons that are upstate New York uh, that they closed. And you have OMH uh, that closed many years ago. There are places for them to be put upstate New York. We've talked, by the way, we talked about Rikers, Vicki, here in our area. We talked about Rikers. Come on. Right. I'll tell you, but we have too much in this city. I say take them upstate. I say stop, period. Don't anybody misunderstand me here. My, My whole thing is stop this already. Stop. But if we're going to continue under the rule that we've got right now, the leadership that we have in this state, and they keep blaming Abbott down in Texas. Think of those poor people who have been living with this for the last five or six years. So think about what we have right now. Our schools are going to be overburdened, okay? In the state of Texas, some classrooms are 88% migrants, 88%. New York City is going to see an uptick in migrants in the school system speaking five, six, seven different languages now. It's not just... Asian or or Spanish, along with before English. you put them in the school system, are they, they being tested for yeah, all the diseases health. that public uh, health? Public health. Public health. No, not at all. There's wow. nothing being done here. Now they just saw. I just saw this morning on the news actually uh, that they are setting up these clinic-like things for healthcare. So now here we go again. Uh, they're going to get healthcare, free healthcare, and bring them up to where they should be. When we have people here who cannot afford health care. Vicki, it's $10,000 a migrant is what they're saying a month. Yes. I mean, how, 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 how does the city month. sustain it, New York City Councilwoman Palladino? How do you wrap your head around that number? How do you do that when they throw out a number like $10 billion, $12 billion? What are you talking about? It's unsustainable, completely unsustainable. And I think this whole thing has really, as far as we all go here now, we were very nice. We took it in. You know, I don't want to hear this stuff about, you know, we're a, we're a nation of immigrants. Well, of course. We we're are. almost going to have to go to a break. Uh, Curtis okay. Lee, last word. Yes, uh, Vicky, you cannot join our night of civil disobedience outside of Creedmoor on Wednesday night, the night of the walkers in the wheelchairs, because you're not old enough. You have to be 65 plus. <laughs> so I qualify, but you don't. <laughs> Oh, you're sweet, Curtis. We'll keep that. Me, me, and, there, right? me and Peter qualify. Uh, we're over uh, 70. <laughs> Way over. <laughs> I don't qualify either. Okay, Vicky. thank you. You and I Vicky. can hang thank out. Thank you so oh, much. You. And now, <laughs> calling in, I understand you have uh, 
Yeah, we've got uh, Greg Jarrett calling in. And joining us now is Fox News legal analyst, also a big best-selling author, Greg Jarrett. Greg, uh, so much going on in the Georgia case. It looks like, of course, the grand jury's meeting today. Uh, do you think an indictment's eminent? And where is this headed? What do you think of the case? Now this would be a fourth case against Trump, fourth indictment. Well, we haven't seen the indictment itself, although some of it, uh, some of the charges were prematurely leaked. Um, but, you know, what I rely on is an earlier court filing by the district attorney in Fulton County in which she said her central focus is a phone call made to the Georgia Secretary of State in which Trump allegedly said he needed uh, Brad Raffensperger, who's the Secretary of State, to find 11,780 votes. Well, read the transcript. That's not what Trump said. Trump said that he himself was looking to find roughly 12,000 votes, which represented his deficit. Well, of course he said that. All losing candidates say that. They want to find valid votes that were not properly counted or invalid votes that were counted. So by itself, that's not a crime. Trump was asking the Secretary of State, uh, he wasn't asking him to do something illegal or commit fraud. He was just grousing about the vote count. You know, so the DA, I think, has completely misrepresented Trump's remark and, you know, is trying to magnify it into a felony. If you look at the transcript of the entirety of the phone call, it is a complaint not by Trump, but Trump's lawyers over ballot irregularities, violation of election laws, and the court's failure to act on their petition. Uh, they're entitled to make those complaints. Uh, you know, that's not defrauding the government. That's not racketeering, which, frankly, is absurd under the circumstances. Greg, anybody that's a college graduate or a high school graduate, uh, I mean, that has common sense, don't they realize that uh, this is going beyond the call of duty, that they're crossing the line? Oh, I think so. You know, which is why, with every indictment, Trump's, uh, you know, public standing, his ratings continue to go up. People see this for what it is. And, you know, this idea in Georgia of bringing racketeering charges is so far-fetched, it's preposterous. And, you know, I think people are going to react adversely to that. Fannie Willis, the DA, would absolutely have to bastardize the law, John, in order to bring such a case. Racketeering requires proof of an ongoing criminal enterprise coupled with a repeated pattern of illegal behavior. That's normally over a considerable period of time. That doesn't fit here. This was a singular alleged episode of brief duration right after an election, which Trump was asking for reconsideration of the votes cast. The law is not this elastic rubber band. There are limits. And And when when we talk on January 6th on the insurrection, I'm still baffled by that because out of 300 people, only one had a gun. You don't have an insurrection. You don't have a, a, a revolution with one gun. And the evidence is missing now. There's some pieces of the evidence from January 6th that are missing. How's he going to defend himself? That's the other thing, Greg. Yeah, you know what, uh, Jack Smith, uh, this, in my judgment, unprincipled, unscrupulous, politically motivated special counsel is doing is he is trying to create the appearance of 
a seditious conspiracy or uh, incitement of violence or an insurrection without actually bringing those charges. You know, in his long-talking indictment, he lies. He, he, he lied by omission uh, about what Trump said at the National Mall on January 6th. He, he, he omitted that Trump told his supporters to behave peacefully. Uh, you know, that's unconscionable. It's reprehensible for a prosecutor to do that. He is trying to convict Trump in the court of public opinion and simultaneously seeking a protective order to muzzle Trump in violation of his First Amendment right to defend himself. Greg Jarrett, thank you so much for being with us. We always love having you here on the show. Thank you very much, Greg Jarrett. And, John, coming up, by the way, in the next half hour, we have Bill O'Reilly coming up. You definitely you want to stay Bill O'Reilly. That. He's got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. He's on fire today. Dr. Mark Siegel. And also Tony Schaefer talking about missed opportunities at the Abbey Gate. It is going to just infuriate Let's, let's you stand by. Let's go to break. You're commuting home. Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on WABC Radio, Cats and Cosby. Lots, it seems like, censorship. This has been this trend of basically blocking anybody who says something that they don't like about the vaccine, vice versa, California, making it basically illegal to, I mean, this is... If you have the wrong uh, opinion from, you know, prevailing wisdom in the medical community, they take your license away. Well, let's go to Dr. Mark Siegel, uh, Fox News medical analyst. Uh, Dr. Siegel, this is going so far. As you know, there's so many different wisdoms out there. RFK, of course, uh, being censured, too. I mean, where does it end? Well, you just heard from the judge on this, so I, I have to watch out for the legal side of this. But here's here's what I think about it. I, I think that... If somebody disagrees with you, you should actually welcome that exchange and not try to snuff it. I think that's what the United States of America is based on. I think that there is a problem with megaphoning, but in other words, some people have more access to uh, a megaphone than others, and I think that people should take that responsibility seriously. It's why I and you and Casimatidis are constantly reviewing information before we come on the air. We can't make sure anybody does that. But you know what? Here's something that you're going to love. I disagree with almost everything that RFK Jr. says in the medical world, but I feel strongly that he should be allowed to say it. And that gives me, I think, the best credential of all to be commenting on him. I disagree with him, but I agree with his ability, his need to say it. And for the other case, the doctor that's losing their license potentially because they said that the vaccine was a magnet, while other people were saying the vaccine was a microchip. I believe in the Manchurian candidate, by the way. We're probably all being programmed by the government at this point. (laughs) I don't believe that 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 is a a worthy comment about magnetism, but I think the real question here would be, and the judge would know this more than me, what are they doing with their patients? Who cares what they're saying? What are they doing with their patients? And if they're a responsible physician that is not putting patient health in jeopardy, then the state has no right to be going after their license. That's how I would view that. Now, Doc, when you were growing up in Bayside and I was in Canarsie, my father, merchant seaman, 54 years, you can relate to this judge, came home and said, kid, 
vitamin C every day, vitamin C. But I said, Dad, the American Medical Association said this is quackery. They want to burn that guy's books. You know what I'm talking about? They wanted to ban vitamin C and the doctor who wrote the book about vitamin C because they said it was quackery. So it just shows to show uh, things uh, are all over the place in medical. Is that vitamin your point? C. Yeah. Vitamin, C, vitamin right. C is really good for you. and the, the, But the truth is you get it in most in, in, in meat and you get it in a lot of food. But the... The biggest uh, knock on Linus Pauling was supposedly that there was not a control group, you know, where people didn't get vitamin C. But doesn't matter. Your point is right. He was shown to be correct. So, is, doctor, it's Richard Weinberg. Don't you think there's something called the scientific method? And how dare the government get involved in trying to stop the scientific method? Yeah, well, that's, I think, at the heart of all of this. The scientific method is trial and error, isn't it? It's studying something. It's doing it. It's doing a study. And I, I, I don't think the government should be involved in that at all. I don't think they understand it. And the thing that's happening now in L.A. County is a great example of that, where L.A. County was closing schools for the longest of anyone, <clears throat> keeping them closed to the end of 2021, then put in place these very strict mandates all across the board that were never shown to to work. I think ventilation works. You know, I think testing people worked for COVID, but I don't think any of these mandates worked. And now they're in a panic because they're losing, they're potentially losing $300 million in the, from the state because of their high abs- absenteeism rate. What are you, what are they doing? They're saying, Oh, go to school with a cough and a sneeze now. No problem. No problem. The exact opposite. Because they're not in the health world, because they're not clinicians, because they don't understand the scientific. Well, method. it's what works for them. That, to your point, uh, Dr. Siegel, it flips and flops. We got <laughs> one minute left before a break. Dr. Siegel, what would you like to tell all Americans? I would like to tell all Americans to listen to this show. Oh, by the way, listen, here's what I really want to say. Everything that I said already was brought out by Casamitidis at this wonderful breakfast, breakfast buddies on the island that Rita missed again oh. because, he, because he had Governor Hochul there. And, you know, Governor Hochul loves John Casamitidis. And she says, look, you know, I can go right. I can go left. She's very interested in being in the center. I didn't get to ask her what she's doing about the migrant crisis, though. That I want to ask on part B of that talk. Ah, there's a good. That's a good tease. That means for the next breakfast. Now, that's what I heard, the breakfast I, this week, by the way. The breakfast this week is Bill O'Reilly. I heard. Uh, ah, I heard Doctor Siegel Bill a little. O'Reilly? I want to introduce Bill O'Reilly. That I'd love to do that. I know him very well. I'll get you a milk box. <laughs> I heard uh, Doctor Siegel cough there. Have you put on your Doctor Fauci mask, uh, Doctor Siegel? I heard a little cough there, huh? Oh, it's, it's not Halloween yet. That's reflux. That's from <laughs> drinking too much coffee. I'm sorry. I diagnosed myself. I don't. That, Thank you so much. Ah, thank you, Dr. Siegel. We'll we'll talk to you again later this week. Good to see you. Thank you. And by the way, big bombshell uh, reporting. It comes out in this new book that the Biden administration missed two chances to prevent the airport suicide attack that killed 13 U.S. servicemen and women during that dismal Afghanistan withdrawal. What a disaster. And now we find out there were two other warning signs. I mean, what a mess. Joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. He is president of Project Sentinel, also the London Center of Policy Research. Tony, I got so mad when I saw this report. Your reaction? So, Rita, we've talked about this several times on the show, and it just gets more and more appalling, uh, the, the lack of uh, emphasis by the Biden administration to protect our forces. First off, we've reviewed the catastrophic decisions that resulted in 
the the chaos at the airport, which, you know, we saw Afghans falling off airplanes. They were so desperate to leave. And now this. What we, we know now is that there were two options that were presented via intelligence, credible intelligence, to the this, this central command leadership that went all the way to the White House. Now, the reason that the strikes were not authorized, and this is key to the story, is the White House, the Biden White House, would not authorize the use of weapons. Uh, this is reminiscent of LBJ, you know, Lyndon Baines Johnson, trying to run the Vietnam War, having rice patties in the Oval Office. It doesn't work. And those commanders on the ground did request release of weapons to take them out. So there's two opportunities. One was where they had got credible intelligence that this guy was moving through Kabul. And Kabul is a it's a very I spent a lot of time in Kabul and it's a very difficult place. But apparently, Rita, they did have specific intelligence that, it, that identified the guy down to the clothing he was wearing. So they could have used uh, uh, essentially sophisticated intelligence surveillance equipment to spot him and take him out with some sort of a, a, a indirect fire weapon, a, a hellfire missile or something. That was denied. Secondly, right at the gate, uh, this, this information regarding the description of the bomber was at least passed tactically to the f- folks on the perimeter. And at the perimeter, this guy was observed by several of the the, the, uh, the, the security folks to include one of the Marines. They again requested permission to fire on the ad- identified target, and it was denied. So this tragedy not only was uh, preventable, it was compounded by the fact that the White House decided it knew better than the folks on the ground with their actual intelligence regarding uh, the events. Tony, this uh, is this Pete. Is unco- Tony, yes, yes, Pete. Tony, it's Pete King. First of all, thank you for all your hey. service over the years. You've yes, been sir. outstanding. Is there any Thanks. possible defense the White House would have on this? The the defense that I'm I'm sure they're going to go with, and you you and I have spoken about these sorts of things on the air, is one regarding not, trying not to perturb the Taliban. Uh, I think they're going to say that they were depending on the Taliban to provide security. That was the informal agreement. Uh, Pete, you and I both know you can't trust the Taliban. Absolutely I mean, not. Like, are, are you kidding me? That's amazing. By the way, the other with. thing, Tony, too, to that point yeah. was that um, apparently they had word that this guy and some other ISIS-K uh, were like planning this in a hotel room. They tell right. the Taliban, uh, go do an air, do a raid, get rid of these guys. And the Taliban does nothing. I mean, what? how how could you actually trust the Taliban to be a partner? It's, uh, it's ridiculous. Exactly. Absolute insanity. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. Uh, Pete, to continue the point, is that we knew at the time when this was all occurring, the Taliban could not be trusted. There were several several events that have not been released publicly yet where Central Command went and tried to interact with the Taliban to say we need you to do something. They didn't do it. So, you know, one has to understand that at a critical time when they know, they, the Taliban, knew ISIS was about to take a shot at the Americans. Of course, they're going to let it go and say, oh, we couldn't stop it. That's what happened. Well, that is insane. Tony Schaefer. Now, one more question I have to ask. Tony, you know about Washington and all the stuff going on. We just had a, uh, we had somebody in, a, call, a former congresswoman call in from uh, Honolulu. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard, who you know well, Tony. Tulsi and our yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, and FEMA was there. And they have not declared an emergency so the right. Army, Navy, and uh, Air Force could help the people. Why? So, yeah, if you recall, Joe Biden said we need a, pe- a president with compassion. Uh, so uh, no comment seems to be lacking compassion. And I know Tulsi. 
Tulsi is there doing her best. I have not texted with her and I talked to her because I know she's busy. But I know for a fact, uh, John, that, that Tulsi is devoted to the people of Hawaii. She's been doing her best to try to bring attention and resources to this. And, yeah, there's absolutely no reason to not have FEMA on the ground actually trying to do things to assist people. I mean, I can't understand it. It's six days or seven days now, and and FEMA hasn't done anything. And you see the images. It's horrible. And and she says, says, I'm serving right now, and where was she, in the Army? Uh, Yeah, she's in the Army. And 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 she says, we want to help, but FEMA FEMA has not pushed a button. It's ridiculous. Tulsi's a commander of a unit in Colorado, in the reserves, lieutenant colonel. Anyway, but to that point, look, I know FEMA. I've worked with FEMA. Uh, John, there's no reason they couldn't have uh, half a dozen aircraft with semis, with rigs, already there providing the direct support. They have whole uh, uh, agencies within FEMA ready to do this. They, they so should have been there in five minutes, have, Tony. We they, all saw the images. Been. They I mean, been. They could have been. Uh, it's crazy. Tony Schaefer, thank you. We love you, Tony. It's always great to thank have you. you here. Thanks, Rita. Thank you. And joining us now is we have Bill O'Reilly, who is with us on Cats and Cosby, of course, the host of Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, 9 to and 10 p.m. he's got a lot to talk about. Bill O'Reilly, what are you angry about today? I'm angry that I'm not on vacation. It's the <laughs> middle of August, and I'm working like a pack animal. So that's what I'm angry about. Um, I really feel that, that there is a misunderstanding in New York City and state about this migrant situation. And the people who are going to get hurt the most are the hardworking uh, people who earn between 60 and 150000 a year. Let's be very specific. It's going to cost the city of New York about $5 billion just this year to house, feed, and transport so-called asylum seekers, okay? The city does not have the money, nor does the state of New York. Adams is asking Biden, hey, this is a border federal problem. You got to help us out. Biden is not going to do that because if he gave New York money, then he'd have to give every other city in the country money because they're all experiencing the same thing. You got 7 million people here that should not be here. Those people are not able to develop a workforce or a social life or a structure that fast. So the government has to support them. And this is what the American people have not been told. Because the media is very dominant left. So all the media keeps saying is compassion, compassion, compassion. And that's true. If I were a poor man in Honduras with three children, I'd try every way I could to get to New York and to make some money. All right? I don't blame the migrants. But the federal government and President Biden in particular has basically said we are not going to enforce immigration law and we're going to change it. We're going to make it easy for people to apply for asylum. They don't have to go to the ports to call anymore. They can do it on their cell phone. And then if they get the okay, we'll let them in, and they can go any way they want on our dime. Taxpayer will pay. Does that seem like a rational policy to you, to anybody listening? It's not. So what's happening in New York is that the city and the state have to generate more revenue. 
And since New York State has lost 500,000 high-earning individuals, 500,000, their tax revenues are going down. So what do they have to do? They have to punish the working people with more taxation. That's what the congestion pricing is all about. They know that people have to come to the city to work, that some of them can't take mass transit. So they're going to gut them as much as they can. And, I mean, if this is the kind of government that you want, then continue to vote for liberal Democrats because this is what you're getting. You know, Bill, you brought up uh, just also the the voting policies. Do you think it will be different next go round that people are going, wait, 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 this now they're realizing what's going on? Depends who's running. All right. So if it's Trump versus Biden, then it's we hate Trump so much. We don't care what Biden does. All right. And if it's not Trump, then whoever the Republican nominee is, has to get out there and be very, very straight with the American people that this is a disaster. Now, in New York State, Governor Hochul gave a speech to John's group on Saturday. That went pretty well, John, right? It went pretty well, but everybody's, you know, everybody is uh, very, very uh, uh, polite. Polite. We're polite. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, you don't want to go in there and, and throw mud at the woman or try no, to no. She's but but anyway, she is a very nice woman and and, and she wants to do the right job. I think uh, her hands are tied. But the board, John, okay. the board, Bill, the border issue yeah. was never raised at the breakfast. Let's be clear. No one raised the question on that. Well, they're not professionals. I didn't go to that because if I had gone to it, I would have thrown the whole thing at the turmoil. But I am going to be there next Saturday. And you can throw the whole thing into turmoil next Saturday. Well, next Saturday, I'm the speaker. Yes. <laughs> the speaker gets to talk about whatever part. he wants to talk about. <laughs> oh, oh, Bill O'Reilly, this is Curtis Lee. The simplest question for Adams and Hochul is, show me the law that says we're a sanctuary city, sanctuary state. There is no such law. They hide no. behind this. Oh, well, we're a sanctuary city. Say, no, you issued a proclamation. Mm-hmm. There is no law. The right to shelter, that's a mandate. There was a court order, an agreement between Ed Koch and the Coalition of the Homeless. We want to help 100, 200, 500, 1,000 people, but not 100,000. The right right to shelter is not a law. Consent decree. It was a federal mandate, and it doesn't say forever. So what the legislature, a responsible legislature in Albany, would then write a law that all cities would have to follow in New York that says this is what the taxpayer can do for people who are indigent. But at this point, there is no guidance. So the reason I brought up Hochul is this. I don't buy that her hands are tied. I don't buy anything like that. All right. I don't think this woman is smart enough to solve the complex problems we have in New York City and state. And I made that determination when she ran against Zelda because I was looking for some problem-solving stuff to come out of the Hochul campaign. Nothing. What I got was, we're the Democratic machine. We're going to turn out our voters and we'll win, which is what happened. I got no solution 
to any problem from Kathy Hochul. If I had been there on Saturday, I would have had a list of five things, and I would have said, how are you going to solve this problem specifically? And I would guarantee you that Governor Hochul could not have answered any of those five. Well, so, Bill, this is Pete King. You know, you can't say your hands are tied. The governor of New York has incredible power. Say what you want about Andrew Cuomo. The legislature never tied his hands, and they wouldn't have been able to. A tough governor was Rockefeller, Pataki, Carey, uh, you carry. Nobody ties their hands. They, they have the power. The governor has the ultimate power. And she had the power with the pay raise last year. She has executive order, as you know, Congressman Power. So she can get things done very fast. Right. She won't do it because she's a party apparatchnik. All right? She's a part of the machine. And the machine is not in business to solve any problems. The machine is in business for two reasons. To give poor people money, assets, entitlements, whatever. That's number one. And number two, to organize in such a way that it's impossible for another party to win an election. Wow. Well, Bill, and I'm still waiting for the Democrats to say, close the border, Mr. President. Where are those calls? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Bill O'Reilly, thank you. Uh, we love having you here on the show, well, my we, friend. We listen. What are you going to talk about tonight, Bill? Tonight we're going to talk about how Joe Biden is hurting the Democratic Party. Is it a five-hour show? <laughs> no, I'm Rita, you know me. I'm Tiffy right there. Bang, are, bang, bang. You are, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank we'll all Between be tuning 9 o'clock in. and 10 o'clock tonight on WABCradio.com, Worldwide, and BillOReilly.com, and 770 on your dial. Thank you so much. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.